Hello, Soul Family. I hope your 2023 is feeling all things divine. I continue to be so excited to share this year's Ceremony Circle guests with you. And thank you to all of my longtime devoted listeners out there. But if this happens to be your maiden voyage with us, welcome. I'm your host, shaman, and best-selling author of Animal Power Book and Deck, Allison Charles Story. And today we are joined by a super lovely friend of mine, Ananta Ripa Ajamira. She is an award-winning author, spiritual teacher, and co-founder and CEO of The Ancient Way, an organization that supports you to embody ancient wisdom in a way that unfolds your true self. Ananta is also advisor of Ayurveda at The Well, a modern wellness club, and the author of The Way of the Goddess, Daily Rituals to Awaken Your Inner Warrior and Discover Your True Self. Her work has been featured in Cosmopolitan Magazine, Forbes, Vogue, Yoga Journal, Spirituality and Health, Harper's Bazaar, you name it, you name it, even at ABC News and Fox News. She's done it all, and today Ananta shares her work and wisdom with us. And when she sent me a copy of her brand new book, The Way of the Goddess, I knew that's what I wanted to focus on with her. What exactly is The Way of the Goddess? What are the nine days and rituals of Navratri? What was her nine-year solo spiritual pilgrimage all about? Where did it take her? What Agni and the fires of transformation are? The major initiation she experienced with both parents that completely transformed her life. How did she navigate that? The Gayatri Mantra Prayer. And one of my favorite things we cover is a barometer of how you can assess the effectiveness of what you want to say to someone. It really lit up some light bulbs for me when I read it in her book. We, of course, cover who some of the different goddesses are and how to honor and work with them. And we close with an incredible water cleansing blessing ritual. So heads up now to pause this if you want and go get a glass or a sacred object that can hold water in it and have it with you for today's show. This one, as you can probably tell, is top notch and power packed. So it is my great honor to have you with us for activating the way of the goddess with Ananta Ripa Ajamira. Okay, it's an exciting day. I have been on Ananta's podcast before, and now here she is on mine. Welcome to Ceremony Circle Beauty. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always such a pleasure to connect with you. Likewise, you're such a bright, shining soul. And I was so excited when you reached out and said, my book is here. Can I send it to you? <laughs> and I was like, why, of course. And it's so gorgeous. It's called The Way of the Goddess. And then the subtitle I love just as much, Daily Rituals to Awaken Your Inner Warrior and Discover Your True Self. And it's so beautiful. Congratulations. Thank you so much. How is it feeling? Because I know, you know, I know what the book journey is like. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a joint birth of both a book and a card deck pretty much simultaneously. And it's a journey unlike any other. So I, I actually wanted to start when I tuned in, I was like, I actually just want to start on the book and get more into like the process and what that felt like for you. Um, was it an arduous journey? Did it take you through initiations? What did it feel like when you finally turned the final manuscript in? Did you like collapse on the floor like I did? Tell me all about it. 
This is a question only someone who really knows what this experience like is like can ask, right? Because people who haven't done it are like, what's it like, you know, and kind of romanticize it as this amazing achievement that you have because they see the end, they see the shining product and it's like, wow, but the process is totally everything and beyond. I mean, this book was really, really hard. Everything about it was hard. Everything about it was pushing me and pushing me and pushing me out of my comfort zone. But what was amazing about it was that it was a push in a structured kind of way. It was like having a focus and a direction to it. So it wasn't just like an aimless struggle in the dark. This time it was like, okay, this is where I need to get to. And I know that. And I know that really embracing my independent sovereign self with a capital S is the goal of all of this and really being true to myself in every way possible and undoing a lot of ancestral trauma, ancestral scripts, and really saying no to this whole codependency pattern forever. And I don't know what that means, you know? So it's a lot of surrender into the unknown and really deeply trusting and getting tested on my ability to do that at each juncture and then going beyond what I felt I was capable of in terms of really practicing everything that the book contains in it, in terms of doing the discernment, really practicing letting go. I had to let go of so many things. What's one thing? Well, one thing was my home. Actually, twice I had to let go of my home. It's so interesting that it kind of starts with that, right? Like where we let go, we make a big change. So I moved cross country from the West Coast to the East Coast. And I had to let go of some, like a lot of relationships, not just one actually in that process. And I had set the intention for this during Navratri, the nine night goddess festival of 2018. We're in 2022 now. So how many years is that? Four years? It took four years to really do this and to really chart this path in a way that someone else can also benefit from it and follow it. And it really was just first and foremost, my ongoing personal transformation project. I have always experienced a lot of breakthroughs during the goddess festival of Navratri. And it was always in a systematic way. It went step by step. It went chakra by chakra. And I really liked that about it because it felt like there's a sure footing into the unknown. In the Vedic spiritual tradition, we talk about how education should ideally lead us from what we know to what we don't know. Mm. So this felt like that kind of a journey, you know? And yeah. it's, it's interesting because the later chapters of it, I wrote as I was living it, you know, and then after turning it in, it was a big test, like, okay, I have to just totally radically surrender and trust that I have done what I could to serve the truth. Yeah, that was the mission and that that will reward me, maybe not immediately, but for sure, eventually. Uh -huh. I feel you. I hear you. And I had a sense that your answer would be something along the lines of what you shared, just because having been on your show and, you know, feeling your essence and your energetics and your integrity and just the way 
you walk the path and lean into the work. So that coupled with the type of books that you and I were called to write, that's like the perfect recipe combination for like a full on walking through the fire rites of passage as you're writing it. Because I found for me with animal power, you know, there, there really couldn't be a thread or a line in there that I wasn't also embodying, you know, and also when there's people like us who set a certain intention for the foundation of the book and, and how we hope for it to be of service, it just, it conjures up a lot. So yeah, everything, I think there's nothing untouched by it. That's mm -hmm. what's so incredible about it. I, I don't know this from experience, but I've heard that some people can write books and then just put them out and get on to the next project. And it's like no big deal. And then they churn out another and another and every year they're churning out new books. And I'm like, okay, so now the journey has just begun in a sense, right? Because now it's like going deeper and deeper into it. And it's such a part of my life, you know, that I feel it keeps working on me as much as I put effort into it. You know, yes. and it's such an ongoing cyclical journey. Like even with your book, I got it and I was so excited to read it that I was reading all about all of the different animal profiles, but more the ones I was drawn to or I felt a connection to. And then, you know, kind of put it away. And then I would see a new animal here in the nature preserve. And then I'd be like, what is this? You know, I have to go back to it. And then now it's become such an amazing reference to keep going back to. And I'm finding now that my book is an actual physical book, not just a PDF on my laptop. It's the same kind of thing where I'm like, oh, wait, what did I say about this? What, what came through about this? How can I relearn this? How can I go deeper into it? How can I apply it even more now? Yes, I love that you're being so honest about this. I feel like it's such a testament to who you are. And it's also just such good, hearty storytelling medicine to potentially illuminate for people who are, you know, whether they're new to the spiritual path or seasoned warriors and, and many years on, it's, it's just a great example of what I would deem like a healthy way of doing the work and a healthy way of, of leaning in. And I also am in awe and slight confusion of, like you said, people that just constantly churn out these books who are spiritual teachers. I'm also very perplexed by it because I know for me, you know, I'm many months now since Animal Power came out and, you know, the deck only came out in August, but still like when I tune in to my own soul, when I connect into great spirit and great mother earth, just to do some check-ins, like, am I still to be, you know, laying in the hammock and recalibrating and learning guitar? Or are you ready to assign me to the next book project? When I check in on that, it's, it's really still a no. And there's potential ideas, you know, that I have that feel really strong that I feel would be of really great service for humanity, the world, all living beings. Uh, but the time, like I'm not being given that directive yet. And I was never more exhausted in my whole life. And this is coming from a former national champion, you know, distance runner who knows exhaustion to like the most intense levels. And I've never felt exhaustion the way I did after I turned in my book. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. I totally felt that too. I definitely felt that. I was in New York city and I wrote this whole book in New York. It's almost like the divine forces sent me to New York city just to write this book because as soon as I finished it, then it was time for another move to another state. And I felt called back to nature after being in a little New York city apartment for two and a half years literally just focused on giving birth to this book and i just really needed sunshine again i needed to be around nature around animals and really live out the eighth chapter actually of my book which is on the power of rejuvenation mm. because the way i describe this book which i feel like you might really be able to relate to too is like being in the womb of goddess kalaratri and for readers who don't know who goddess Kalaratri is, I'll actually show you a picture of her. She is this goddess who is destroying the demon who keeps multiplying through their blood drops. And the way to defeat this demon is to drink the blood. It's really gory. It's quite intense. And this step seven is all about transcendence and really going beyond the pairs of opposites that the world is giving us. And to be constantly in that mode of transcendence and activating this warrior power to really overcome every obstacle that this book brought up for me was definitely really, really draining. And fortunately, the eighth step is when the goddess transforms into an eight-year-old girl. And it's a true new beginning because we've gone through that fire with mm. the goddess of transcendence and the power of truth. So I'm like, I need to live in a place that represents that power now of rejuvenation because one can't be in this mode forever. Life yeah. is about cycles and renewal and you know, rejuvenation is really important. So I'm like, okay, next couple of years, I gotta live in Florida, just be with the flowers, be with the trees, be with that fresh new start. And then of course, because I embraced that intention for the eighth step, now my life is constantly giving me one new beginning after another being here. And I'm like, okay, great. And I'll know when it's probably time for the next one, when it's time to go on to step nine. But like you said, it's like, we have to be with, what we're called to now and really like know it from pre-writing it to then really knowing it through writing it and then knowing it in another way by doing interviews like this, by expressing it, by sharing about it, by having other people read it and have other people give their, you know, experiences and impressions with it and kind of like getting to know it in all different ways. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, kind of like the third part, right? Like the completion of this sort of birthing because it will live on, you know, yes. for as long as, you know, it's it's being called upon by people and people are resonating with it. But it really needs that kind of sacred honoring, I feel, of the whole process. I couldn't agree more. And, and yeah, what was coming to me as you were sharing right before you almost said the exact same words is yes, it, it truly takes on a life of its own. Yeah. You know, a book like yours and a book like mine, it's, it's a living, breathing consciousness, you know? And so it's just been so beautiful for me to just kind of watch and, you know, give it hugs and waves and be like, Oh, I found out today you're here in Malibu. Oh, I found out today <laughs> you're here in London. Oh, you're doing so great. Good job animals, you know, and just like <laughs> allowing it to 
move and harmonize and breathe and and go forth in the world the way that it needs and wants to as its own living being out separate from me almost you know yeah yeah i know people talk about how writing books and and publishing books is so much like giving birth and it's like a book baby and i really couldn't agree more with that metaphor because it does after you give birth to it after it's out and published in the world it has its own life it has its own momentum it has its own kind of existence that goes beyond whatever we could have even planned for yeah and i'm curious and then we'll switch gears a little bit but this one this question just popped in like did you have any unexpected feelings come up like did you find yourself feeling more vulnerable than what you thought you might or find yourself feeling more nervous or because i i i just recall there were a lot of unexpected waves that came and maybe some waves that i thought might come came at times that were really unexpected so you know for me like it was when i had my my book release party there were some interesting feelings of vulnerability that came in that I didn't anticipate. I've done hundreds or if not thousands of events and, you know, yet it brought in a lot of stuff. And then also it wasn't until a long time later, I was like, oh, let's go into a bookstore. I haven't done the whole moment of like walking into a Barnes and Noble and finding my book. And so my husband and I did that one day and it was in that moment on that day, like, I just thought that would be like a cute, fun, like, oh, cool. Like, here it is. Um, but it actually, when we got back in the car, I was like rocked with these really deep waves that I thought would come like the day the book came, went out to the world. And so did you feel vulnerable or anything like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. This kind of a book, for sure. That was just like a constant feeling. I still feel that way, you know, because as much as we promote it and we do our part as authors to spread the message and you know be an ambassador of the book it's still a vulnerable feeling that oh and then someone's actually going to read this you know and then oh this person now knows a lot about me and about my journey and about things that they probably would never have known otherwise before or i wonder what chapter they're on when they say that they're reading my it's so right. wild, right? Yeah, I have had people like get tattoos. They've messaged me and said, I will only do it with your blessing, but I'm feeling called to get, you know, one of the animal illustrations tattooed on my body. And I'm just like, whoa, you know, or wow. you know, just things like that, that yes, give you, I was saying to Luke on a walk the other day with our little dog, Cookie, we like to do sunset walks and Aww. I forget. So yeah, it's really sweet. And somebody had messaged me and I, I can't recall what the message was, but it was about the book. And I was just saying to him, you know, her message was powerful enough and it had impacted her life in a certain way that yet again, it's not like the first time I had this realization, but again, in that day, I was sharing to Luke, I'm like, wow, you know, it's such a reminder that being an author, especially of texts like ours, it really is such a responsibility because people really do study these books, you know, these, yeah. it's, it's, it's study material, it's education, and yeah. it really impacts people's lives. So it's definitely not something to take lightly at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know I felt that responsibility for sure as I was writing it. And now, you know, it's good that it took the concentrated effort that it could get during the pandemic. I feel mm -hmm. the pandemic also really made this book 
come to life because of all the circumstances, you know, of the pandemic and having that prolonged opportunity to really be in the solitude, to be able to receive all the downloads that came through for it. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll start to switch gears here, but this is still partway in the, the gateway we're already in and partway switching us out. I was intrigued and I want to understand a little bit more in at the very top of the interview, you kind of touched on what I think the answer might start to be. And it maybe has to do with like some of the, the Vedic ways of educating, but your book seems to take on such an, a unique and intriguing structure and format. So I wondered if you could explain a little bit, like what came first? Were there certain goddesses like, I don't know, let's say nine goddesses that you knew you needed to include. And so like, you knew that each chapter needed a certain goddess, or was it the chakras? And you knew that you wanted the book to start at the root chakra and work its way up? Or how did the structure start to get in place? So that was the only easy thing about this book, Allison. The fact that the structures are already there in the ancient wisdom of the Vedas. A lot of people don't know this, but if you Google search it, you will see it all over the place that there are these goddesses who are said to exist in these nine chakras. And they're all different forms of the warrior mother goddess Durga. So it is definitely something that's just a part of the tradition that I have found really inspiring. And then my kind of modern take on it was to actually make that into a daily practice rather than a once a year journey where you remember one form of the warrior mother goddess each day, because usually it's just celebrated once a year in the kind of globalized, modern, commercialized world. The actual Navratri festival itself, though, is really interesting. It Nav means nine and Ratri means nights. So Navratri is the nine nights when we honor the divine warrior mother goddess Durga. And this is her picture here on the cover with all her weapons. And this festival of the goddess was actually designed by the sages to support people to ritualistically transition from the food and lifestyle needs of one season to those of another season per the Ayurveda tradition of India, which is a sister science of yoga, all about healthy lifestyle and holistic healing. In the Ayurveda system, there's traditionally seen to be six seasons. So we have winter divided into early winter and late winter, and then summer is having the same division. And also in India and other places in the world, there is also a monsoon season. So there's a summer and then there's a monsoon season. So it becomes six. And in the ancient Indian tradition, and even still some places in villages in India, there were celebrations of Navratri five times a year during each transition of the season. Mm. And they evoked this warrior mother goddess Durga in different ways, according to the needs of the new season. So sometimes she was evoked as the goddess who puts out the drought right who gives abundance who gives the harvest who gives purification so even like the neem plant you know the neem tree the neem plant that is so full of antibacterial antimicrobial and so many anti qualities is actually evoked as 
the goddess in the spring season because Ayurveda teaches that that's what we need. We need that bitter taste to cleanse our system, to purify ourselves during that time of year when the earth and water elements are very high naturally in the universe. Mm. So this was all kind of created because as we know, transitions are the time when we humans feel the most vulnerable. And the idea of having a celebration of really doing a lot of special practices and rituals was cleverly instituted to support people physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to go through these transitions. I love it. Yeah. I'm so glad you went more in depth because I, I, for sure wanted to go into that next is like more specifically explaining what Navratri is and yeah, how, how it's been traditionally, you know, worked with and honored when I was reading your book and also starting to formulate some questions, I thought, well, I'll just kind of use it similarly to how I do mine. I'll use it as a divination tool and just kind of connected with it. And, and I thought I'll just open to a certain page and, and see where I land. And it was really funny. Um, I opened to the Agni page, the fire transformation. <laughs> I was like, oh, this feels like a great place to start. So I opened to page 64. So it's, you know, kind of a quarter, you know, starting to get midway through the book. But I had such, it took me when I opened to that, I was like, oh, you know, it kind of makes sense because I had such a powerful experience when I've done Pancha Karmas. Oh, my cat. Wow. My cat is making quite an appearance. He is coming in screaming when we're talking about the fire transformation. Hi, Jelly Bean. <laughs> Everything's okay. He is, he's a very, he, let me just tell you, my cat Jelly Bean knows how to communicate. He knows how to express his needs and desires and dislikes. Jelly, there's two ways out of the office and there's a door open right here, sweetheart. Of course, he's sitting by the one door that's closed and demanding that I let him out of that one. When I went through some Panchakarmas, I was astounded at when it was, this, I mean, the specific moment that I literally felt like my internal flame kick in and kick on. Like when you go to light a furnace in your home that, you know, the pilot light went out and you're like, oh, it's starting to get cold in here. And then you turn, you turn it on. I saw that visual within my own body. And I was like, oh my gosh, this Ayurvedic stuff is real. This Panchakarma is real. Agni is so real. So I would love for you to share a little bit about this and how it pertains to Ayurveda. And also in your own life, I saw you worked with it to help you overcome and transcend your eating disorder. Yeah, this is a big one. This is a really powerful place. I'm not surprised actually that you opened here, given who you are and how you work with the elements and fire being the spiritual one, right? In the Ayurveda tradition, fire is most connected to purity because fire is that which burns away all that is not us. And the sun is a embodiment of that fire. And the sun is also a symbol of our own soul. So fire really has the ability to burn away whatever is no longer serving us and to ignite from within us the hunger for the truth and the appetite to be able to digest it. We need both. And the fire of transformation is Agni. So Agni is the Sanskrit word for that fire of transformation. It plays a really pivotal role in the science of Ayurveda. We need a healthy digestion 
in order to have overall health. Digestion is considered the root cause of great health of all different kinds. Whether you come with an ear infection or a skin issue or a issue of you know emotional trauma, an Ayurveda practitioner will always assess your digestion and be doing things to help balance your digestion. If the fire is too strong, to be able to reduce it. If it's too low, to be able to increase it. And if it's irregular, to normalize it, to you know give it a rhythm, to give it a, a regularity and a predictability. Because as we know, fire is also unpredictable. It kind of erupts all over the place or it just doesn't ignite. And then we struggle with lack of clarity and a feeling of heaviness and lethargy. When our fire is ignited and it's strong and that flame is steady, then that's really what gives us the ability to go on the spiritual journey and to peel away all the layers, like to, to burn away all the layers, right? That one way is peeling, but one way is one more direct way is just to burn them away and mm. kind of make us go to ashes. And, you know, for me, in, in a way, it was kind of literal because I had so many issues with eating and really felt like food was the enemy for some time growing up because it was also one thing I could control. Mm. And it was a pattern of connecting food and emotions and not being able to really distinguish between them for some time. Even after the intense part of the eating disorder was over, it was still like a lingering pattern of a discomfort around food. And I had to really, you know, look at this as I needed to digest not only my food, but my emotions. We have this idea that digestion is not just a literal thing. It's not just a spiritual thing about digesting new information or new knowledge. That's really important. But we also have to digest our emotions. There's a risk of spiritual bypassing, right? In the spiritual world, all love and light and, you know, kind of brush all the issues that we have under the rug. But what happens when they go there is that they intensify, they build up. And unless we really acknowledge our emotions, we're not going to have a holistic, full, complete healing. And we have to actually look at our emotions. We have to look at our life experiences and digest them with fire, right? And to digest them, we need that spiritual knowledge. So that plays an important part because I feel it's like food for processing through the emotions, being able to observe them, know that we are not them, know that they're just coming and going, being able to honor them, being able to understand what they had to teach us, and then being able to have the strength to also release them, to let them go, to be able to free ourselves to be who we were meant to be in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. So the fire is really key for that. And also just looking at my own childhood was a really important part of this particular step and this chapter because it was connected to my solar plexus which is the core of our power and i really had to go back to childhood where i was being force fed food that didn't agree with my body right. and how that was so symbolic right of allowing other people's needs and other people's kind of ideas of what should be or should not be rule me you know even at this like very physiological level and it was like i had to go there. I had to deal with that. I had to actually confront my father about that and talk to him about it and talk to him about the whole kind of cycle of trauma that we were playing out that had been passed down from one generation to another generation and really put my foot down. And I was quite young when I did it, but it was 
such an initiation into this whole journey to say that that cycle now stops with love. And first I love myself in order enough to actually commit to this unknown journey that's already giving me benefits and to, you know, put a stop to all of this and to, to heal with love, right? To be able to change those ancestral scripts with, from a place of understanding, from a place of forgiveness, but also having healthy boundaries, which is something that I don't think I really understood until I got to know Goddess Chandragantha in this chapter, who's full of fire, full of weapons. And those are the internal weapons that we need to conquer the fear, right? Of actually what will happen if I say something, you know, and it was scary. It definitely was. It, it was a scary thing to do. The actual experience was very terrifying. And because I could just remember simply just having heard her story once for the first time, when I first began this journey 11 years ago, I was like, okay, but I have a goddess there. There is a goddess within who is full of fire and full of weapons. And so no matter what resistances, what kind of yelling is coming back to me, I am that fire. I am that goddess. And just this idea and connecting with it and holding on to that, even through this intense discussion I had to have, was so empowering and it was so liberating that that ended up becoming the end then to this eating struggle and this emotional eating pattern that wow. I had lifelong. That, that's for real an initiation then, you know, it was yeah. like, you know, crossing a threshold. And if you stood on the other side of it, yeah, just like feeling the lingering effects or lingering threads of, of suffrage that were still, you know, grappling with you, but by you choosing to, you know, take that big gulp of courage and lean in and, and calling upon a goddess Chandra Ganta. Yes, you got it. <laughs> And calling upon her, you know, to, to work with you and, and yeah, like really doing that true lineage, ancestral transcendence, transmutation, healing work. I mean, and there's so much more involved, like, you know, you were sharing that, yeah, allowed you to become set free, but had you not chosen to rise to that occasion or, had you started to walk towards your dad that evening to have the conversation and turned and went back into your room or whatever, you know, God, and yeah, I'm so glad that you highlighted that exact scenario because I can tell through your book, you also, you know, had some powerful experiences with your mom. And I know we're jumping around a little bit, but it's just kind of where I'm being pulled because I wanted to be sure to cover that because I wrote here in my notes, like there were times you confronted your parents, you had to let them know that you'd left, you know, the, the business world or whatever you were doing before for Ayurveda and this like balance of hiding and reclaiming your power, which I guess ties in, you know, to the solar plexus conversation. So can you elaborate a little bit more maybe, and, and some of what I just shared are specifically with your mom. Okay, that was a lot harder. So this is the initiation with my dad, which was very powerful. And it was very scary. And it was very hard. And it was important to have a start, right, which was going to be a strong start. And it got me onto this path in a really committed way, in a really steadfast way, in a way that 
then whenever anybody has come with opposition or you know bullying or anything like that i'm like oh this is nothing because i've gone through that you know so that was like my getting started and yet I had to travel for seven years in order to be able to write chapter five of the book, which was the deeper emotions actually that I had to deal with regarding the mom ancestral patterns and the, the feminine sort of wounds that were there about caring for others at the expense of oneself and betraying oneself, right? I feel like that's so much of what we are taught to do in this patriarchal world that we live in is to be able to survive in a in a man's world you have to deny who you are and kind of suck things up and you know give in to other people and not really be your whole full true self and those are the kinds of patterns i really came up against with my mom even after i had stood up to my dad and did this thing which was so terrifying to me it was actually harder to deal with her you know, responses to that than it was to deal with my dad directly. Although that was also difficult initially, he kind of came around and really supported me pretty quickly. It really was like a fire, you know? So that element of fire was very much there where it's like, I had to go through it. I had to stand that ground, but then pretty quickly he came around and he realized I'm not to be convinced otherwise. It's better to just support her than to, you know, try to keep, up with this kind of a battle because he had even cried when we had that discussion so that was a really powerful experience for me and at least kind of half of the childhood cycles had been completed but there was more you know so so it's important to celebrate the victories because they propel us on to harder battles and i personally feel that whatever is internal and hidden is harder to dig up and to address and to rewrite than what is more external and visible. So that's why chapter five didn't come until many years later when I could start to kind of see things that were hidden more clearly and be able to check out different patterns that I was having in dealing with female figures who were older than me and in a position of authority and how it was kind of like I learned to give away my power in order to get approval, acceptance, love. And, and I felt that I couldn't survive without that. Mm. So it really took healing that mother wound in order to be able to free myself from that whole patterning of needing the other to feel, you know, complete in oneself and needing to deny oneself in order to help other people. And I feel like really learning to mother myself is so much of what the healing journey has been for me. And that has really extended so deeply even to my mother who then, you know, sees me now as her guru. She, she literally wishes me happy Guru Purnima, which is a, a full moon festival when we honor the teachers in our lives. Wow. And according to Vedic astrology, it's also written in her chart, apparently that her child was supposed to be her guru to lead her towards moksha or spiritual liberation and when i heard that and saw that i was like whoa you know because that has actually now become the reality and that i just intuitively understood that the only way to heal this is not to keep looking for what i didn't get as far as 
the love goes, as far as the acceptance goes, as far as the, those strokes that we want, right. From our caretakers, it was like, okay, what do I want? Okay. This is all that I want. These are all my needs. I got to figure out how to give that to me. And I got to really trust that there is a divine mother for that to happen. And that's where this mother connection with the mother goddess really has played such an important role in helping me turn inside to find that my parent is within me and is within the cosmos, within nature, which within trees, within the sky, and also within all living beings. And so instead of continuing to feel this angst at what I didn't get, because you know my mother wasn't able to give me all the things that I needed emotionally, I can give it to myself. And that was itself so amazing. And then I realized it wasn't enough just to do that, but I needed to also give it back. And I needed to empower my mother to also realize that she could be more than who she was programmed to believe she mm. could be, you know, and to come out wow. of those kind of scripts that were given by the patriarchal sort of society that, that plays all these, you know, stories. And it's like, oh, well, we already have amazing stories of female empowerment. Let's just really live them. Let's apply them, you know? And then now I'm like, oh yeah, it's a patriarchal society, but I'm a powerful woman. Anyways, it doesn't matter, right? Like if I know who I am, then, and I stop doing these patterns, right? And if I heal them at their deepest core, then I don't have to repeat them anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. So beautiful. And I mean, just that expression of how, you know, your dad, both your parents, your mom and your dad, I want to, you know, honor them and give them credit too, that they didn't allow defenses or resistance or ego or any of the multitude of possibilities that could have kept them in separation from you or in resistance to what you were bringing to the table to illuminate. They both in their own unique processes and ways, like really leaned in and came around. And the fact that she, you know, honors you and refers to you as, you know, her guru. I mean, talk about a 180. That's really incredible. I know. It just, you know, it took me a little while, honestly, to digest this, to digest the fact that first of all, it happened. Second of all, that I wrote about it. Third of all, when I was asked, are you really okay that you wrote this and it's going to live on forever? And I said, yes, I trust, you know, that the, the transformations have been real and that they have freed me. And therefore my purpose is to be a, of service to the truth, not to get attached to what happens if, right? Because I'm like, if there's anything not genuine about these transformations, then that will just get burnt away. And mm. it was just that kind of intense surrender, right? Because I was asked that question by the publisher, are you sure, you know, you want to publish these words because you can never take them back. And I was like, you know what? Yes, I feel, I like feel a lot of faith in what we have gone through. And I am so amazed actually, Allison, that they're stepping up so much to even promote this book and wow. to give it to people and to you know, ensure that other people get to go on this journey. And the, the moment when I told my parents that I had written about our healing and our transformations, I remember my sister actually gave me that opening because she said, dad, you know, you've grown so much. You've come such a long way 
on your journey. And my sister's a lot younger than me, so she hasn't seen him as long as I have, you know, but she has seen him for a long time. And she was like, wow, you know, you have really changed so much over these past years. And I know that it was catalyzed or ignited by my sister and how she went on this journey and had that, you know, discussion with you. And I tell lots of my friends this story mm -hmm. to help them and to inspire them. And they wish that they could have parents like you to, you know, go through this fire of transformation with them too. So I feel like it's, you know, it's definitely been rough. Like this didn't happen quickly. You know, it took a really long time. It took patience. It took being step-by-step. Step. It took looking holding the line, in. you know, trusting, yeah. holding that line forward. Trusting. Yes. All of it. Right. It's like really a miraculous healing. And, you know, to have had that exchange though and to know that the story was already going through my sister and then to see my parents be happy about it was just so mind-blowing because we don't usually talk about these kinds of things in different cultures and I mean just anyone right like it's such a vulnerable thing to put out there that oh we're not perfect but actually now I feel like we've kind of gone beyond all of that right yeah. like whatever harmony we were you know looking for in a fake way right to like give off the impression of the perfect family that had to be burnt away in order for real harmony to yeah. actually now be there and now it's like wow we're like way more than what we could have ever pretended to be right <laughs> yeah wow this this real embodied truth's way better than that illusion <laughs> yeah Oh, it's so incredible. And I want to touch on, you know, because you even dedicated part of your dedication of your book was to the power of goddess Durga within you. And as you've already said, you know, she's the goddess featured on the cover. But can you touch on a little bit more about her? In the back end of the book, it was around page 222. I read that you had found goddess Durga in yourself while you were navigating like some scapegoating issues, violation issues. So if you could kind of blend a little bit about that journey and Durga. Yeah. Wow. That was actually the fertile soil from which this book was birthed going through that I call it a long tunnel because it was a long tunnel of torture, you know, in a real world sense, in a spiritual sense, it was my perfect classroom to mm. really learn, to really embody, to really integrate, to really activate. I am so grateful that I survived that period. And I believe that the reason I was able to do that and to get out of that situation in the way that I was, was because I had set the intention for this book. I had planted the seed for the book and that's when all of this intensified, right? It's like the life experiences, literally just like, bam, here you go. Here's all of them, Anantha. You got to walk through, not just one fire, not just two fires, but you just got to like completely be submerged in fire for many months and that's going to be your tunnel of initiation and if you can get through this and get out on the other side because actually there's no choice but to do that then you know this book shall really be there and this process was all internal i was not writing at that time i was feeling very called to write but in actuality 
those experiences were writing me and they mm -hmm. were writing what then became the book in terms of how I got through that, because it was just like one after another, like here's every kind of torture, mm. possibly imaginable betrayal, scapegoating, harassment, being blamed for other people's mistakes, manipulation, just like one devastation after another. And, and so were those scenarios coming via different people and different, different situations? People. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was all different people. And that's yeah. when you know, I really just couldn't even do all the practices that I had learned for so many years because I didn't have time. I just needed to survive. Yeah. Every day was just like a battle to survive during that. And wow. every day, what I really kept on saying to myself was, I am a powerful being. I am a powerful being. I am indestructible. I am indestructible. And just, you know, one thing. And then the other thing was, I love myself unconditionally. So no matter how much of torture I'm going through, no matter how many times I get betrayed by someone else, I am learning now to really be there for me. And I am going to be there for me. And I'm going to, you know, trust that that goddess lives within. And I've set the seed to become that truly. And so these experiences had to come to really create that fertile soil. It's like how the lotus flower blossoms as a pure entity through the mud. And according to the Vedic astrology, I was going through a period where the lotus flower is actually the symbol of the star that was very present at that time. Mm. So it was definitely that kind of a period. And because I had trained myself to really do all these practices that I've written about in the book over the course of almost a decade, they really came to support me when I couldn't do them anymore, you know, when I just had to do them internally. And when I just had to remember the different forms of the goddess every day. And that memory itself was like connecting to something higher, connecting to something truthful, connecting to something that I then could become. So it was like in a very real way, like not just a, a portal or an initiation, but like a, a tunnel that I had to journey through, you know, and, and getting to the other side was just like then going into the mud, right? And just like one muddy thing after another muddy thing and another and another and just like, got to dig deep, I have to get to the root of this, I have to write this in order to liberate myself. And because I've been able to do that, it's such a responsibility, I feel, and to have this kind of inner freedom, that out of gratitude, I have to write because I just cannot help but feel so grateful for how I was able to go so deep within myself through all of that in order to really trust and believe and have that faith that yes, this goddess also lives within me. So if I'm getting all these challenges all at once, it's because of that. And it's because I'm supposed to awaken to that and really own that and never allow the desire for love from someone else outside to allow me to go away from that. That was really the main message that I'm a powerful being. Let all these people try to take my power. But the lesson is, no, they cannot. No, they cannot. And consistency, right? And being steadfast and holding on to the path and going methodically step by step. And that's really what then became this book because I needed to digest all of that. I needed to really 
ensure that as I move forward with my life that I'm able to, you know, create something out of this that's going to be like that lotus flower, right? That's going to be something I may have never experienced personally before, but that is a vision that is supporting me first, you know, and starting to actually put my own self first was what this all gifted me, you know, in disguise. It was like, forget everyone else. It's the pandemic. You don't even have to remember, but you just gotta do this because it's Mm -hmm. the thing you have to do. And it's the thing that will be of service to truth and to freedom and liberation. And the goddess is that mother, right? Because when we feel vulnerable like this and shaken to the core, who do we call out for but our mother, right? Like the first connection we ever have. And so then the divine mother became that solace. The divine mother became that kind of like cosmic lap to cry upon Mm -hmm. whenever all of this was happening. And I needed to just release it and let it go. But I also understood even while it was happening that this has a divine purpose. This is not all just in vain. This is going towards moksha. Yeah. And that's, that's what just keeps coming into the field is in a number of your different shares is that you have been so consciously aware to not get pulled into victimhood and victim mentality. And you have a very clear understanding that these fires are serving you if you can just lean in and, you know, be open to what you need to see and feel and learn. And, and you've done such a great job. And I was curious before we get to one other portion of the book and then do the closing ceremony, and you kind of maybe started to answer this just a moment ago, but I wanted to hear from you from the way you have witnessed and experienced yourself in life. What are you most proud of in terms of how you have walked this path? Yeah, I mean, all of it, just writing all of this book and really that experience, I think the tunnel, Mm -hmm. going through that tunnel, the way that I've gone through it, I feel that is what I'm most proud of. And knowing that whatever I leave back through my work, through my organization and with my family is going to be of something different than what I received. I feel that's what we're called to do. And that's, you know, the, the sort of gift of this human experience to be able to take all the experiences, all the raw materials, you know, and convert them into that divine Lotus. Mm -hmm. I feel that that's, that's a great gift because now as the challenges come, it's like, Oh, this is an opportunity. This is a new opportunity. And, you know, I, I may not have seen it like that when I was seven, right? It all looked scary. (laughs) Like life looked difficult. And, and so it's this knowledge really, that is such the liberation, right? But we can't just have theoretical knowledge. We really have to practice it. We have to live it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like a culmination of a lot of practice, right? But then that practice only just continues. And so now that practice part has made me very internally strong, you know, and really like awaken that inner warrior. And I'm like, okay, great. So I'm an inner warrior, but I've got potentially a long journey still ahead of me. I'm still pretty young. And now I feel, okay, if I'm going to continue on this and make sure that I'm safe to the extent that I can, I'm going to become 
an outer warrior. So now my mission is to actually complete a martial arts training mm. and really know all of how to protect myself, right? Because that. that's going to be giving me yet more healing and another, you know, many levels to unfold of integrating the spiritual understanding because a true warrior is a spiritual one and the true battle is ultimately internal. But then if I can also be the outer warrior, right, and know the combat skills and know how to protect mm -hmm. myself, then first of all, there's nothing left to fear. And then secondly, it is really giving me such continued embodiment of yeah. these practices and teachings and taking me still beyond all the comfort zones I may currently have and giving me a new mission, a new project, a new kind of learning laboratory to keep on growing and expanding and pushing beyond what I felt, you know, in the female incarnation that I, I could be, right? Because this has never been my vision that I would want to take martial arts training. I actually I see it. it. I can when see I it. I see you doing the motions and I see your hair pull back in a ponytail and this fierce look in your eye. You've done it before. I can't wait for you. Once you like take more classes, I want to, I know I'm going to get a message from you being like, I do remember it. It feels so innate inside of your body to me. It, yes, it is. And even when I've had readings, like I had an Akashic record reading and the first vision that she had of me was as a female warrior yeah. holding a bow and arrow. Uh, and I was like, wow, I gotta remember that. You know, I gotta, yeah. I gotta remember it in my cells. I gotta mm. remember it like deep in my body, you know? And then I feel it's an important part of teaching people spirituality because the thing is when we become more compassionate, when we become more pure, when we become more forgiving, more loving, more caring, right? For others and for ourselves, it also does open us up a lot to potentially, you know, dark forces coming and wanting to take our light. So I yeah. just feel that the contribution I would love to leave is empowering people in all situations that as you grow more compassionate, grow stronger to be yeah. able to protect yourself and defend yourself also in all these different ways, energetically having shields and doing all these inner warrior strategies, but also, you know, physically like we, we live in an unpredictable time. So all we can do to, you know, shield ourselves and, and arm ourselves literally if needed, just for the sake of protection, not for, you know, ever attacking someone, but just to ensure that our mission can go on. Mm -hmm. I feel that's really important. So really yeah. like, yeah, just throwing that whole victim thing away and instead getting armed with weapons, really learning it. And then that will become, I feel, part of the lasting legacy is not just to teach about truth and spirituality, but also how do you protect that truth and spirituality? Love that. And the last little bit that I just can't let myself skip over, so, you know, so we'll maybe be brief with it and just tell everyone to get your book to go more deeply. But on page 124, so the second time, so then I, I opened the first time to Agni and then, you know, worked on the flow, the questions, then Luke and I went to Colorado and then I think it was on one of the plane rides. I was like, okay, I'm going to open again as a divination tool. The second time I opened to page 124, silence gives birth to wisdom. And I love that. And I have lived by that so often. I mean, regularly, but then also some of the most significant chapters of my life have been what I call, you know, the sacred pauses where, you know, I really truly live by the calls and directives of the divine. And 
you know, I've talked about it a number of different podcasts, maybe not necessarily so much on my own, but how, when I was living in New York city and like had already had my awakening, been shown the visions, answering the call really vulnerably, courageously leaning in and like, just all of a sudden, everything just blowing up, taking off, you know, you know, all of this media coverage of me and like partnering with all these big brands in New York city, doing countless events, giving all these talks in front of 10,000, 15,000 people, all this stuff. And then I'm given the directive to stop, pause it all, stop all events, stop all talks, which at the time was also equating to stopping income, you know, and I'm living by myself and, you know, what some would say is the most expensive city on the planet. And yet I, I listened and I said, okay, but you know, and I could go on and on about that. And there's a number of different examples of that directive coming into my life of like, okay, we were, you know, giving you the vision and you answered the call to do this. And now I need you to stop all of that. And so I wanted to hear from you. Why did you feel, you know, it's so important to include it in your book, the, the theme of silence, giving birth to wisdom and how you practice it and what you've gained from the practice. Yeah, everything. I feel it's it's so important because yeah. healing is a process. Healing takes time. Healing takes dedication. Healing takes thoroughness. And silence is really what gives us that. When we're talking all the time, when we're doing events, when we're traveling, which is incidentally what my life is now looking like, I feel that you know, depending on what we're talking about, right? Depending on what we're doing, it it can be tempting to be taken out of our divine connection because we have to make sure that we're on time. We have to make sure that we're, you know, connecting with the outer world and, and service, right? Like doing what's needed and giving our all. And yet I feel that for the healing to really be able to happen, we need that space for being quiet in order to allow the emotions to come to the surface, to be felt, to be experienced without having that kind of time bound pressure of, oh, I have to be here now and do this now. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, if the divine spirit wishes to speak to me right now, then I want to have enough space in that silent void to be able to answer that and to be able to go deep into that and to be able to feel all of that, to have the memories surface. I mean, there's just a lot that goes on in this process, which is really quite messy. And I just feel like silence is a womb. Silence is like a womb where you can go into and you need to in incubate in it for some time. Like how a little baby gestates in a mother's womb for nine months in order to have a new start, in order for that, you know, messy kind of terrain of the emotions and all the things that come up in that silence to get metabolized, to get digested, to get acknowledged, to get transmuted, to get dialogued with, to get then changed, right? To, to start creating the change in a slow way, in a steady way, in a patient way, in an integrated way. It just takes a lot. So I feel like any time we can devote to that silence is always going to take us inside ourselves to our deepest core. And especially for people like you and I who are doing this work, not only for our, our personal healing, but we feel called to support the collective in some way. I feel that we do need these periods to even go way deep, you know, and try to be as silent 
as possible. So I know that, you know, I'm being called out right now and it may be for a couple of years, but I'm sure that I will also be called back, you know, yeah. like, okay, let's, let's pull back now and let's go back into that void, into that womb, knowing full well that it's like, even in a sense, like cutting the flowers, right? Cutting yeah. the roses and pruning them so that then next year they grow back even bigger, even brighter, even more nourished so that then our service increases, it expands, it allows us to be able to offer even more from a space of being more and more connected to our own self, because we are also on a journey as long as we're here in the human body. And so we have to, you know, have that balance of pouring a lot of energy into the universe and then going within to draw and receive back from source Mm -hmm. and then you know, being in that ebb and flow, that divine cycle, I feel is very healthy. It's very much like how nature works and how flowers blossom. It's so vital. And the way you described, you know, when you do honor those calls and directives and take that honoring pause, however long, you know, and and I can reflect back on a number of them, very significant. And, And when you're guided in this way, it may drudge up, you know, potential resistance or questioning or doubt. Or if I, if I do your, what you're telling me, God, that like, cause for me in that example I gave, I was like, well, then that equates to no income. So you got to work with me here. Like, yeah, I'm going to answer this call, but you know, it can bring up fear. But when you truly live in this way of honoring the divine directives and cycles and seasons, it it only enriches and gets you more and more connected in in a healthy way to the totality of all that is the the totality of yourself. And I see even a lot of other spiritual teachers, you know, like they will override that directive for pause be out of, you know, and I'm not saying that it's not understandable, but out of fear that like maybe their public profile will diminish or, you know, they don't want to, because certain ways were brainwashed over here and in the West. And especially when you get into the world of celebrity and media, you know, there are certain quote unquote rules that, you know, you really can, can take over and override the, the directives and rules the divine is trying to, to give you. And I really think it's just like a foundational 101 basic step in if you're being a spiritual guidance spiritual teacher you know is taking those sacred pauses yeah i do see uh, you know a number of uh, spiritual teachers out there who who don't do that but you know to each their own and there's all divine orchestration to everything it's just an interesting thing that i observe And if I didn't have to go, I actually have to be on somebody else's podcast in 10 minutes. And I know we need to do the closing ceremony. So we're going to get to that. But I want to just say one of the most amazing things that I found in your book was on page 126. So I recommend everybody get the book. Of course, it'll be in the show notes. But again, it's called The Way of the Goddess. And on 126, there was this barometer of assessing the effectiveness of what you want to say. And that just really just blasted me open. So I highly recommend everybody listening, you know, get the book and go to page 126. And the barometer is really tuning into, you know, what you want to say, is it going to be beneficial to both you and the person that you wish to express yourself to? And just that simple rule can be such a game changer. And I love the example you gave, because I could even reflect it back to times in my own life where uh, venting, venting frustration, you know, you think like, you know, oh, this will be like the healthier way of dealing with this. Maybe you go and vent your frustration about someone to another person 
where in actuality, the healthier, more conscious way would have been to just be honest with yourself and be honest directly with the, the person that you need to be honest with. And yet if you're venting your frustration about someone to somebody else, like that can be really unfair and put that person that you're venting to in an unfair position. And so, yeah, that just, it really spoke to me and I just couldn't not do this interview and not at least say that out loud. So that's that. I know you probably have a lot to add on to that, but we have to get into the closing ceremony. So I will let you take it from here and give any instructions. Okay, sure. Thank you. Well, what we can do is if you're listening to this, you can also pause the recording here and go get some kind of a vessel that you can put water into and then you can come back and what we will do is actually bless ourselves with the cleansing healing therapeutic quality of the water so what we traditionally do is actually pour a little bit of water into our hand i'm not pouring water because i'm i've had the experience of pouring water onto my equipment before and ruining <laughs> equipment so i'm trying to prevent that here but you can just pretend a little bit of water comes into my hand and we typically chant the gayatri mantra with it which is one of the greatest mantras of the vedas which is about really evoking the power of the sun within ourself to dispel all the clouds of our illusions and of our wrong identifications with our emotions with our thoughts with our body with our intellect with all that is not our spirit and so we evoke that light as what lives within us. The outer sun is also in our own heart. It is our own self. And so that's the meaning of what we evoke through this Gayatri Mantra, which I'll just chant for you. So we can you know, do this three times and actually drink the water if you like, or you can sprinkle it on your head, but we'll go ahead and chant it together. And you can you know, drink the water or sprinkle it and you can repeat that three times. So mm. I'll chant it two more times. Oh, oh, this three times is because we are purifying the gross body, physical body, the subtle body of our thoughts and emotions and the causal body, which is where our seeds of karma are living. And then what we can do is actually offer a little bit of water into our hand and then we can chant the mantra and, you know, inhale the mantra in and say, you know, just bring to mind and to heart one thing you want to let go of. So it can be a 
recurring emotion. It can be a thought, it can be an attachment that you have to a person, to a situation. So just, you can bring to mind and to heart three things or one thing, and you can let go of it three times. And what we'll do here is actually chant the mantra. And then through the mantra, we will have the water in our hand and then we'll release that water and symbolically release ourselves of the bondage of our attachment or our emotion or our thought that is not serving us. So we'll just put a little tiny bit of water in our hands. Om Bhuva Swaha Tat Savitu Varinyam Vargo Devasya Dimahi Dio Yona Prajodaya releasing the water and we'll do it bye times <laughs> adios and we'll do it two more times because three is the number of completion oh Dimahi the water releasing, letting go. Feels saying good. A big goodbye. <laughs> it does feel really good. So we'll do it one more time. Oh Savitu Padinyam Vargo Devasya Dimahi Dio Yoda Prajodaya. And releasing. Do we still have a couple of minutes? I can do another step. Otherwise, we can just call this complete. I wish we did. I do you feel it would be okay to complete it here? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then if people want to refer to the book, you can also just follow along in chapter two. I have this ritual written out because typically after we do this, then we just bless all of our senses and mm. our body parts to then go out into the world much more protected and you know purified so this is on page 51 through 54 so Perfect. you can go through that well, thank you. That was so incredible that I felt like it was perfect timing for me. I needed that. If you can please let everyone know the best ways to find you and find your book. Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on theancientway.co.co, not.com. We couldn't get the .com, so we had to settle for the .co. <laughs> and you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at ananta.1. So the number one is spelled out O-N-E. The book is called The Way of the Goddess, Daily Rituals to Awaken Your Inner Warrior and Discover Your True Self. You can 
find it, you can find links for it on theancientway.co or you can just search for it wherever books are sold. It's so beautiful. I'm so happy that I have it. I can tell it's going to be a book I go to a lot. And it was so good to see you again, Ananta. Thank you for oh, coming on Ceremony Circle. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a joy always to be able to celebrate the ceremony of the circle with you. Yes. And thank you, everyone. Thank you, Soul Fam, for sitting with us. And we will sit with you together next time. Woo-wee, what a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, if you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.